Hey there, my name is Pastor Jason. Welcome to Cross Connection Church Online today. It's good to see you guys. Well, sort of see you. I'm looking at a camera, but trusting in faith you guys are there. Hey, I know God's got something really exciting for us today. Um, so let's dig right into the word here. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. We're actually going to be kind of all over the place, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 5. So flip there in your Bible, get there in your app, be ready. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would that you would bless us today, that you would give us wisdom and discernment, that you would give us understanding, Father God, that you would help us to walk through things that are not always comfortable. Lord, that you would be with us as we uh, look in the uh, face of our own issues and our own mortality and our shortcomings, Lord, and help us to, uh, to emerge through the other side, Lord Jesus, seeing you closer and understanding your love for us. So, Father God, we give this time to you. Pray that you would work in it. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, like I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 8 to start off with. And it starts out in Luke chapter 5 in the beginning. It says, One day Jesus was standing on the shores of Lake Gennesaret when he, while people pushed their way up to him to listen to the word of God. He saw two boats pulled up on the beach. And the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Jesus got onto one of the boats. It belonged to Simon and asked him to push off a little from the shore. Jesus sat in the boat and he taught the crowd. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, push the boat out further to the deep water and you and your partners let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon said, we worked hard all night, all night long and we caught nothing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. So Jesus is there preaching. There's a crowd. The crowd is pushing up against them. There's, you know, there's, it's hard to be heard. So Jesus sees the boats and says, hey, you know what? We're going to use the natural features here to aid in my speaking to this group so they can hear me. He says, hey, would you guys mind? I'm going to get in the boat, push out a little bit, and I'm going to teach the crowd. Peter's got no issue with that. It's kind of like, hey, awesome. This, you know, this itinerant rabbi with this huge crowd is wanting to speak and he wants to use our boat. Great, awesome, we're not doing anything. Maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll make a couple shekels out of the deal, who knows. But then when Jesus finished, he says to Peter, hey, push the boat out further to deep water and you and your partners let down your nets for a catch. It's one thing to use my boat to preach from, but, but now you're gonna tell me how to fish is probably going through Peter's mind because he tells him, master, we've worked hard all night long and we've caught nothing. Now remember, Peter is a fisherman. He's been a fisherman for as long back as he can probably remember. He's probably good at it because they have a fishing business and they're still afloat. Ha <laughs> ha, pardon the pun. But here comes this guy who's teaching the crowd and he says, no, 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 put your boat back out and let down your nets. Now the fisherman knows that if I was gonna catch fish at this time of day, I would be out there at this time of day. I catch fish at night because that's when the fish are there. And the, his attitude kind of comes through in the answer. All right, but if you say so, I'll let down the net. Well, then they let down, verse 6, so they let them down and they caught such a large number of fish that the nets were about to break. So they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and they filled both boats so full of fish that the boats were about to sink. So they pushed the boat out. Okay, fine, they throw the nets out, and all of a sudden there's so many fish that they can't believe it. They're starting to sink. So we look here, what was the response of Jesus to Peter's unbelief? 
His response to Peter's unbelief was blessing beyond measure. Peter is blessed more than he can even comprehend. And verse 8 says, When Simon Peter saw what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. It is the blessing, the tangible communication of the love of Jesus that reveals to Peter who is actually in his boat. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we read that it's the kindness of God that re- leads to repentance. The kindness of God that leads to repentance. But Peter's response was to distance himself from Jesus when he says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter recognizes that he's a sinner. And as a sinner, he feels the shame, the judgment, and the condemnation that sin produces. This is the most insidious characteristic of sin. After we have done this sinful act, whatever it was, in this case, Peter being like arrogant towards God, our flesh begins to revel in the longer lasting effect of sin and sends us on the track towards isolation, shame, and condemnation. If we follow this track, we'll end up in the place where we hate ourselves and push away everyone and everything that is good. Peter recognizes his sin and he distances himself from God. He says, get away from me. I am a sinful man. The effects of sin, this is point one if you're keeping track, the effects of sin outlast the act of sin and unchecked will isolate and ultimately destroy us. See, Peter assumes that Jesus doesn't want to be near a sinner. We assume that our sin repels God. But see, God loves us even when we're sinners. Nothing can separate us, the Bible tells us, from the love of God. Our sin does demand a sacrifice, And that sacrifice was utterly horrific. But see, Jesus endured the cross so that we could find grace, not condemnation. Jesus pulls sinners close instead of pushing them away. We would expect him to push away, but he instead pulls close. If your sin is pushing you away from Jesus, you're listening to the wrong voice. You should listen to Jesus who wants you to come closer. Jesus responds to Peter in this initial interaction with him, the first time they've interacted, he says, get away from me, I'm a sinner. Jesus responds to Peter this way. He gives him a mission. In verses 10 to 11, it says, don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. For now on, from now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land. They left everything and followed him. I think it's ironic, isn't it, that On the day they have this earth-shattering catch where we've never caught this many fish before. This is insane. That's the day they quit. That's the day they're like, yeah, okay, we're done being fishermen. We're going to follow Jesus. So then we see there's some more events that happen in Peter's life. Um, We see Peter when he says, when Jesus says, well, who do men say that I am? Oh, they will say you're this, they say you're that. And he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yay, right on. Um, Then we come into Matthew chapter 14, where we see Peter walking on water. And we know the story. They're in the boat. Jesus is still on shore. They're in the boat. There's a big storm. And the wind and the waves are crashing. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking across the water to them. And they think he's a ghost. And they're terrified. And they're like, oh, no. And Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come out there with you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter, to his credit, gets out of the boat. And for some period of time, 
walks on the water towards Jesus. While he has got his eyes on Jesus, he is walking on water. But when he all of a sudden notices that the wind is big and the waves are big and everything is scary and crashing, he starts to sink and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs his hand, pulls him up. They get in the boat and he says, oh, you of little faith. See, this is kind of the place that we live as followers of Jesus Christ. We're living in that tension between walking on the water and sinking in the sea. We kind of, that's, that's kind of our life right there. One moment we are walking on water and things are going great. And it's like, man, we are in sync with Jesus. And the next minute it's like, I am sinking. I am dying. I need help. This is a great picture of what it is to walk with Jesus. So now we're going to jump forward a little bit in Peter's life. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 34. This is when Peter makes his big declaration. And then Jesus pushes back a little bit against it. Um, Something to think about because, you know, it's January 2nd through the magic of video technology. We've got New Year's resolutions. We've made declarations about what we're going to do or what we're not going to do or the things we're going to, all these different things. Keep that in mind as we walk through this. In verse 31, this is at the Last Supper. Jesus is talking and he says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This conversation takes place directly after the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. And the irony is insanely strong right here. They're talking about who's the greatest. Peter, probably, based on what we know about his character, was probably talking the loudest about being the first. And Jesus responds with, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you, you in particular, you by name. He wants to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus warns Peter that Satan is actively seeking to attack him. Notice the term Jesus uses, sift you like wheat. Sifting is the process of violently separating the wheat berry from the rest of the head of wheat. It appears from the text, and when you have turned back, where it says that, that Satan's plan will be successful, at least in the short term. And notice also here, Jesus doesn't ask that Peter be spared from Satan's plan, but that your faith may not fail. Part of the sifting process is removing the inedible portion of the wheat plant, preserving the nutritious, life-giving portion, making it available for the feeding of the body. See, Jesus also has a long-term plan here for Peter. Satan had his plan. Jesus has a longer-term plan. He says, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. The plan is to use the process, the sifting, the failure, the denial, all of it, to produce a Peter who will provide strength, health, and life to his family. However, like ourselves, Peter grossly overestimates his abilities and his commitment. In verse 33, Peter says, Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. This is all spoken out of Peter's pride. Pride It's the main thing that keeps us from growing and developing. Pride blinds us to our weaknesses and inflates our view of our strengths. Pride tells us that we are invincible, infallible, and indestructible. 
But the truth is this, pride makes us ignorant of our weaknesses, prone to stupidity, and leads us on a path towards sure destruction. Let me say this again, this is point number two in your outline. Pride tells us that we are invincible, infallible, and indestructible. The truth is, pride makes us ignorant of our weakness, prone to stupidity, and leads us on a path towards sure destruction. And Jesus here responds to Peter's declaration. He says, verse 34, I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. Unfortunately here, though, Peter's pride prevents him from profiting from Jesus' warning. He can't even hear it. How often do we inhabit the same story where our pride prevents us from hearing what Jesus is actually saying to us until... We start out with, I would never, and you can fill in your own blank here. We all have something that fits. I would never say this or do this or act this way or not do this thing or whatever it is. We all have something that fits in that blank. And if you think you don't, just wait. Probably by the end of the day, you will. See, the human default is failure. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, we have been a people whose main characteristic is failure. At best, our path represents an EEG graph, like the heartbeat going up and down and up and down over and over again. See, this is a fact we often try to ignore or hide, pretending that somehow our successes exist while our failures don't. This is the big lie, one of the big lies of social media, where people present their successes and they hide their failures. But the thing that we forget is there is fellowship in failure. When we can acknowledge that, yes, we are fallible human beings, it opens us up to fellowship, not just with God, but with each other. The Pharisees were popular because of their position. They were not popular because of their attitude. If you were a sinner, you did not find fellowship with the Pharisees. You found condemnation. We're called to not be that way. We're called to, they call Jesus the friend of sinners. And he illustrates this over and over and over. In failure, in admitting our failure, there is fellowship. So, moving on to <laughs> verse 54. Yep, this is the big one. This is where Peter, well, we'll read through it. Verse 54 says, They arrested Jesus, they took him away into the house of the high priest, and Peter followed at a distance. A fire had been lit in the center of the courtyard, and Peter joined those who were sitting around it. When one of the servant women saw him sitting there at the fire, she looked straight at him and said, This man too was with Jesus. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. After a little while, a man noticed Peter, and he said, Hey, you're one of them too. And Peter answered, Man, I am not. And about an hour later, another man insisted strongly, there isn't any doubt that this man was with Jesus. He's also a Galilean. But Peter answered, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And at once, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned around and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered that the Lord had said to him, before the rooster crows tonight, you will say three times that you don't know me. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And so for Peter, the bottom completely drops out. Peter does what he never thought he would do. And he does it three times. Peter, who in his pride made bold declarations about his commitment, about his dedication, even to the point of death, now denies that he even knows who Jesus is. Three times. 
once to a servant girl, twice to other guys who are just standing around a fire. And you can feel the anguish in this passage that Peter goes through. And it's just, it's just a great thing that we never do dumb things like this. We would never fail this way. We would never relapse. We would never cheat. We would never lie. We would never gossip. We would never lash out in a temper at our spouse or at kids or at parents or coworkers or other people driving. We would never do any of this until we do. And we're left in that same place as Peter, isolated, broken, and full of self-loathing. See, we tend to think that the real danger is failing because in our arrogance and our pride, we assume that we're going to be free from the frailty that besets the rest of the human race. We applaud our successes and, like the Pharisees, look down on those who don't live up to our lofty examples until it's us who fails. See, then the real danger looms over us, the desire to hide, to isolate, and to, like Peter, head out into the darkness and marinate in self-hatred. Then the combination of the enemy, our own flesh, and the world proceed to hammer on us or sift us, as it were. And remember what Jesus said back in verse 31 and 32. He says, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus here does not see Peter's denial as a failure. Because he says, your faith may not fail. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. It is this is vitally important and pivotal. Peter fell, but he did not fail in Jesus' perspective. Jesus knew that Peter would deny him. Jesus was not surprised. He was not shocked. Jesus did not condemn or damn Peter. Jesus warned him, and even in his warning, gave Peter a mission. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus is looking forward for Peter to his next success. He's not dwelling on his denial. Third point in our outline, God's desire for us when we sin is that we would repent and get back on mission. Let me repeat that for you. God's desire for us when we sin is that we would repent and that we would get back on mission. See, when we indulge our flesh's desire to punish ourselves, we're wasting the time that God has given to us. Repent and get back on mission. If you have your Bible in front of you, flip over to John chapter 21. John 21, starting in verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two of the other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Have not we seen something like this before, brothers and sisters? Fishing all night? and catching nothing, and then being told from somebody who's not a fisherman, hey, try it differently in a way that's completely nonsensical, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a massive load of fish. This is where we start to catch on. <laughs> the disciples here start to catch on. Verse 7, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, remember this is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied on his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. See, Peter, when he hears, it's the Lord, puts on his outer garment, and he jumps into the sea. Now imagine, if you will, what's flashing around in Peter's memory. Maybe it's the first day pulling the fish in. Maybe it's walking on water. His Savior pulling him up out of the depths. Time spent with Jesus walking and talking and healing and feeding people. Peter's own denial, seeing Jesus crucified, running into the empty tomb, and there he is on shore. Peter grabs his clothes, leaps out of the boat for the last time as a fisherman, because there's nothing left in that boat for him. His future's waiting on the shore. Verse 9, it says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbs up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. See, Jesus, who's there on shore with his fire, already had fish on the fire, but he says, bring some of your fish. See, Jesus showing them that their efforts are important. Even though Jesus doesn't necessarily need them, they are allowed to work with Jesus. This is instructive for us. Jesus doesn't need us but he gives us the blessing of taking our efforts and merging them with his efforts to produce life for the world. Verse 15, it says, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. Now, something that we need to realize on this, there's more going on here than English allows us. So this is hearkening all the way back to the night of the Last Supper. And Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these others do? Remember, their argument was over who was going to be the greatest. And he's like, okay, so do you love me more than the rest of these people do? But like I said, there's more than we can see in the English, even in the King James Version English. Jesus asks Peter, do you agape me more than these? Do you love me unconditionally with a holy and divine love more than these around you? Peter responds with, you know I love you as a friend or a brother. Peter's aware that he cannot claim a perfect self-sacrificial love, so he answers accordingly. Do you love me perfectly? I love you like a brother. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Show that love in how you feed my lambs. And then a second time, Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Peter, do you agape me a second time? No longer, if Peter, no longer asking Peter if he loves him more than the rest of the people around there. Now it's just about Peter and Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me with a perfect, holy, self-sacrificial love? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you as a friend or a brother. And he says, shepherd my sheep. This is broader than a call to just feed the lambs. This is a call to leadership. But notice it's not over Peter's sheep, but Jesus' sheep. It's a call for stewardship. Then he asks the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is the first time that Jesus changes his question in this way. He asks Peter, do you love me as a brother? He changes the word love from agape to phileos. 
Do you love me as a brother? Peter, it says, was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me as a brother? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he uses the same word again. I love you as a brother or as a friend. The third question grieves Peter, likely because it mirrors Peter's denials. His response is adamant. You know everything, Lord. You know the doubts. You know my failings. You know the love that I have. You know that my consciousness of my own frailty. You know all of this. You know that I love you. And Jesus responds and says, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Peter is commissioned by Jesus in the presence of the other disciples. Those who had witnessed his failure were now witnesses to his restoration. And once again, the call is clear, feed my sheep. Then he goes on in verse 18 and he says, Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. See here, Jesus gives Peter a gift. He tells Peter how he will die. He says, you will die like me. You will, in fact, follow me to death. Not in your own pride and bravado like you claimed before, but you're going to follow me into that same death as a co-laborer with me, Jesus tells him. You couldn't get there alone, but we can go there together. Like walking on water, like feeding the 5,000, like healing, like preaching, and any number of things that Peter and Jesus did together, Peter would continue on with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The gift that Jesus gives Peter here is knowing that at the end, Jesus will still be with him. And Peter will be welcomed with open arms as a beloved brother. And Jesus closes the thought with two words. Follow me. All the way back from the beginning, Jesus started with follow me. Right here now at the end, says follow me. As you and as I move through life, as we see our resolutions fall, as we see your successes and failures, remember Jesus is with you and calls you and I the same way. He says, follow me. The, the response, this is the point four in your outline, the last point here. We're going to wrap things up shortly. It's always dangerous when a preacher says that. Point four in your outline the response that God is looking for from us when we sin is to repent and to follow, not to weep and to wallow. What do I mean by that? What God is looking for us when we sin is to repent and follow him. When we spend time weeping and bemoaning our sin and feeling guilty and feeling crushed and feeling isolated and feeling alone and feeling like we deserve nothing, that does not produce anything godly. Repent and follow God. Don't wallow in your guilt. Don't wallow in this, I don't even have a good word for it. Don't wallow in this place where it feels better to feel how bad we are. Get out of that. Get your head out of that place. Follow Jesus. He would be great to end here. 
Like it'd be like, okay, follow Jesus, wrap it up, call in the choir. Oh. And we could all be assured in Peter's restoration that he would be a better person, that he wouldn't do or say anything wrong. We could hope that we too could reach that place where we wouldn't fail or fall short. Everything would be golden and we could frolic in fields of flowers resplendent in our own righteousness. It's like a Hallmark movie or a Christmas movie where everything is at the end and it's God bless us everyone. That would be great to end there, wouldn't it? It'd be great to finish out here and go, thank God. Peter is there to remind us that we are in fact still human. And to be human is to fail. Even when we love God, even when we are loved by him. Peter, after this interaction with Jesus, where Jesus restores him and speaks to him in love and tells him, follow me, and gives him the gift of knowing that he's going to hold on until the end. He's going to be there. Peter immediately looks at John and goes, well, what about this guy over here? (laughs) Like, yeah, but, but what about him? But what about... Jesus reminds Peter to focus on his own self. He says, what is that to you? You follow me. And that same thing echoes in my head all the time because while I might appear wonderful and holy and godly, well, maybe not, but anyway, I am forever looking around at other people. Well, what about that guy, Jesus? I mean, look at, look at the way he drives. How in the world? Get, what is that to you? You follow me. Yeah, but look at this guy over here. I mean, if he would share a little bit. No, no, no. What is that to you? You follow me. But what about my wife, Lord? She, what is that to you? You follow me. If you remember nothing from the rest of this message, I hope that this echoes in your head for the rest of your life. What is that to you? You follow me. Jesus' sacrifice pays the debt of sin, but it doesn't make us stop sinning. With God's help, we can hope for a greater time between failure, but we will not be freed from our flesh while we still walk on this earth. Peter goes on from here to have great successes and a few more failures. Some even are publicly recorded for all of history. Thank God ours aren't most of the time, right? In this, Peter is a great example for us. So as we venture into 2022 together, rest assured that we can know without a doubt a few key truths. And they are, first, God loves us. Second, we will fail. Repent and return fast. Third, God loves us. Fourth, we will succeed at things. Fifth, God loves us. Awesome. Sixth, we will fail again. Seventh, God loves us. And the message of the cross is the same. Follow me. Brothers and sisters, I pray that as we head into 2022, that we would have more successes than failures. I pray that your life would be marked with amazing increase in the knowledge of the love that Jesus has for us. Do not, however, be surprised when you fail. Jesus was not surprised. You did not break God's plan. Whether it was a little white lie or losing 67 months of being sober. Jesus is not surprised. You are not thrown aside. 
His desire for you is that you would repent quickly and follow him. The message of the cross remains the same. Follow me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I am tempted at times to look at my own life and remember only failures. For some reason, Lord, it seems like my failures, the memories are super clear, and yet my successes, they get cloudy. Lord, thank you that you do not see me as an amalgamation of those failures. Thank you, Lord, that you see me clothed in the blood and the righteousness given to me by your Son. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do better. Help us to grow closer to you, Lord. Help us to stay in your word and in fellowship, Lord God, and in obedience. And when and where we fall short, Lord, remind us that you were not surprised, that we have not destroyed your plan and we are not disqualified. But, Lord Jesus, that you wait for us with open arms, saying the same two words to us again, follow me. Help us to follow you well, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. I pray that you have a fantastic 2022. Remember, Jesus loves you. God bless you. Bye-bye.